Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. And my name is Derek Graham, and with me today, of course, is my friend and colleague, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin. Hey, Derek. Glad to be here, and a lot to, lot to talk about today. For sure. Yes. And we're looking at a very broad view today. We're looking at macroeconomics today. We're looking at the impact of macroeconomics on our crypto world, which is what we all hold so preciously. And, and to do that, we've invited along Mark Nitten, the CIO of Portal Asset Management, and of course, the man, the man that runs the funds, Portal Digital Fund, the Radiance Fund, and the Horizon Fund. Hello, Mark. Morning, morning, guys. Glad to be here. <laughs> Good to have you. Hey, so it's been a rough ride in the last quarter, and you've spent some time reviewing that, speaking to a variety of people, including some Bloomberg research officers, you've attended conferences, um, and you've come up with your quarterly report. Really like you to sort of take us through that and talk us through what exactly is happening in this macro world from our viewpoint um, and and what that's impacting on in the in the crypto world. And, and Nitin, Really keen to see what you think too, because you know you're working away with State Street there. State Street's have its views on crypto uh, and the and what's going to happen in that space. Um, and I think this will be fascinating. Over to you, Mark. Thanks, thanks, Jake. Um, so, so I think the best way to probably describe both the last quarter and and the last almost year in this market, it's been sort of almost like riding a psychotic horse through a burning barn. Haven't really known which way things are going to go next. Um, in terms of you know what we've seen play out, uh, you know, we were expecting higher higher inflation and potentially higher rates. We, we saw that going into sort of from the middle of last year, we were you know raising our hands and sort of positioning ourselves more defensively. I think the um, the conflict in the in, in the Ukraine obviously pushed energy prices and potential uh, you know future inflation up a lot more than we we expected. And the markets kind of had to deal with not only tightening liquidity, but also a, a very big increase in geopolitical risk. You know, our view on the on the macro, to kind of summarize it in, in, in a minute, is that in the short term, we're kind of probably, you know, in line with consensus. We're pretty bearish. We're not quite certain, you know, where things are going. We're waiting for some decent macro data, whether it be inflation and jobs data. We're finding it very difficult to find reliability and, and consistency in the data because it's moving around so much. Um, and, and there's a lot of you know, exogenous factors, you know, cutting off of gas supply and so on, that make these numbers difficult to, to use for forecasting. But when we do look through the short-term chaos and we look to the longer term and say, well, you know, the markets are a forward predictor. We're looking at not three to six months. We're looking at at least six to twelve and even eighteen months. Let's look at what are the underpins of this crypto space, and we say, well, number one, it'll be the pipeline of product coming into the space. And as much as VC is down, 
you know, it has it has come off along with all other investment, all other liquidity in the past quarter and probably since the second quarter of this year. The VC space from the end of 2020 to the beginning of 2022 in those 18 months probably raised north of 150 billion. And that's locked up between five and seven years. And they've been attracting a much better pedigree of, of, of team, um, bringing together great entrepreneurs with, with you know, experienced um, developers and so on. So we're expecting a, a, a lot of good product to come. And I think it's not a bad thing that liquidity is tightened in the VC space because then it makes it, and things slow down, which means that there's more time to vet products and generally the better projects will survive. In the second instance, we then look at, well, what's happening in terms of technological adoption? Um, you know, we've in our market commentary, we base a lot of our, our thinking or our, our, our thoughts and views on research done by Jamie Coots, who heads up Bloomberg's intelligence crypto as a crypto analyst. And, you know, he shows in a, a few different ways, you know, number one, the adoption of crypto is, if anything, tracking ahead of schedule. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, hit, we'll hit a billion consumers sooner than expected. We're kind of like in year five, when you compare it to, you know, the adoption curve for cell phones or the internet, the most recent large-scale transitions in, in history, we're kind of almost only in year five where we hit the peak only after year 15. So we really are going into that, you know, exponential mm. part of the increase. And what was interesting is that in this instance, in this bear market, in the last bear market, 2018, a, a lot of people left the ecosystem. And that was that bull market is based on, you know, on ICOs mostly. Whereas in, in this bull market, a lot of the um, on this bear market, should I rather say, a lot of the DeFi protocols, in fact, all of them have, have pretty much survived and continued, and no one's left the ecosystem. If anything, the number of wallets continues to grow. And then the third aspect of it is, well, you know, we've got a good pipeline. We've got a lot of people that are still participating, and the, the adoption continues. The regulation is, is getting there. What about, you know, institutional investment? That's always been a sort of a big bugbear where we say, well, why don't the institution see what we see in terms of potential? And, you know, we've put in our, in our latest market commentary, we've got a page dedicated to just headlines with links to each of those underlying stories where, you know, we can see, and it's, it, none of these are, 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 are small institutions, but we can see, you know, the likes of Fidelity, Citadel, Schwab, you know, they're putting together a crypto exchange. You've got KKR using Avalanche's blockchain, you know, to tokenize their, one of their, um, one of their, their funds. You've got new funds being raised. The likes of Brevin Howard put together a billion-dollar fund. Um, Coinbase, you know, is is using BlackRock or the other way around, I suppose. BlackRock's Aladdin will be using Coinbase as you know their data service provider, which means that they're planning products. So none of these institutions are short-term. You know, they're not traders. They're not in the market for a three-month view. They're taking, they're putting resources to work and building infrastructure with a two, three, four, five-year view, and that's where they, you know, that's where they see the ball. So I think. We're sort of in the middle. We're not as longer term in, in terms of we don't see things coming right in three years. Um, we believe the final thing I say on the macro is we believe that, you know, the numbers are a lot worse than even, you know, I expected at the beginning of the year. Um, unemployment is is definitely a lot higher because of the, the lag effect of counting those that have actually left the workforce. Um, so, and, and have stopped, you know, discouraged from looking for work. So what I think is that the Fed, being in a debt trap is is not going to be able to continue hiking rates. You, you saw the Bank of England say, well, we'll do whatever it takes to, to stabilize bond yields and not force pension funds to sell. 
Um, so I think we'll see probably a cessation in hiking. The rate on rate year on year inflation is going to subdue. It'll start, you know, we came off a low base in 21. So 22 is much higher, highest it's been. So 23, the inflation will start subsiding. And, and in a stagflationary environment where you've got rising inflation, but falling, you know, falling productivity, falling employment and, and high energy costs and so on. You can't keep raising rates. You'll, you'll completely train or just dismantle the economy. So that's our view, you know. And I think Bitcoin will be as a proxy for the for you know for for a bit of easing. It's very long, like most long duration assets. It's very correlated with the yield curve. And so, you know, when you start seeing, you saw in November when rates were people were talking about rates maybe going up. Bitcoin reacted much quicker than the markets. The markets only started correcting a month later. So I think they'll be first out the uh, out the block as well when when people realize that rates are going to start easing. So looking at um, looking at the fact that markets are always forward looking, um, you know, you made a comment there that um, that you know that the the macroeconomic conditions may be poor for the next three years, um, but we are a forward looking world, and so are we looking forward those three years in the current market conditions, the current pricing of equities, the current price of crypto. Or do you think we're looking forward 18 months only? Um, what's your thought there? How much is priced in to the market already? Well, I think, so the market's definitely priced in um, a recession. It was, starting to, it was pricing in a recession, you know, already in, in, in probably January, February. I think that given the continued sort of growth, the, the escalation in geopolitical risk, you know, the, the, the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipeline, these are things that are not easily remedied in, in, in a short space of time. And it does change the, the dynamics, particularly in Europe, which is being deindustrialized. So I think that, you know, the markets haven't really come to grips with the fact that, you know, this is not going to be a short-term you know, conflict. It's probably going to drag on for, you know, no one's really trying to deescalate. So it'll take, it'll take, it's going to be going on for probably years. Um, and I think that, Real estate is the one asset class that hasn't really, it's it's kind of, there's always a nine to 12 month lag between when rates go up versus when real estate starts really faltering as, as you know, affordability drops. So I think real estate could be the pin that that really pops the, the credit bubble. I think those two asset classes have not fully reflected what's going on. I think that a lot of the, the large companies, that, you know, in the S&P 500, et cetera, are also the visibility of earnings, their ratings need to fall further because the earnings are going to, they're going to struggle in this environment. You know, consumer spending is going to take a real hit. When you see energy prices up five, 600%, particularly in Europe, you know, there's no, there's no money left over for durables or, or you know, there's only money yeah. for energy and, and potentially food. I think the crypto space is different in that, number one, you've got a transition to this new accounting system in terms of blockchain. But number two, you know, the size of the industry is so small. It's a trillion dollars. And yet there's all this institutional interest and there's a lot of interest from family offices, private banks, et cetera, looking for uncorrelated returns, looking for where's there going to be growth? Where's there going to be growth in the financial services world? Because it's not going to be in real estate. It's not going to be in fixed income. I think equities. So besides commodities, which have, have had a strong run in terms of soft commodities, which I think are, are still got a way to go, and energy, which looks to be moderating as people look for substitutes and alternative routes and, and ways. I think the crypto space is definitely correlated in the short term, but you can already see it's decoupling. You can see the market weakness over the past few weeks. You know, Bitcoin and the rest have held their level. 
they yeah. come off a bit, but then they bounce back. It's trading sort of 19,000 seems to be the, the bottom of the range. So I don't think that's going to be, you know, it, it, I think that the disconnect is starting to come through as people realize what this opportunity offers. Yeah. So, so, so one thing, you know, Mark, and, and the word decoupling piqued my interest because we've been talking about this decoupling concept on this show several times, right? And the way I try to make sense of this, uh, what I'm calling as a new, new weirdness that's happening in the industry in general is to me broadly into three different C's, uh, the currency, commodities, and crypto. Mm. I can add more C's, of course, which is crude and crime, which is we've had a share of our sort of uh, crypto sort of heists. Uh, that happened in this you know month of August, and then of course CBDC, which is a new agenda. Given that we have Cybos, the biggest banking conference in Amsterdam, happened this week, a lot of conversation in terms of advent of central bank digital currencies. Mm-hmm. But let me just quickly touch upon the first C, which is the currency piece of it, right? Which is again, uh, we are expecting inflation to remain at certain point. The dollar is strong, and in many cases, the, because the U.S. dollar is world's reserve currency. The Federal Reserve is by default becomes a central bank to the world for now, mm-hmm. which means that if the Fed tightens, which is on its path, uh, as we've heard over and over again from many of the, you know, the Feds, uh, you know, the the various governors, is that, you know, they must follow suit if they want, you know, their currencies to rem- to, to remain at the same level as dollar, which is all the all the current, you know, all the countries who use USD as reserve. Mm-hmm. So the question of how central banks respond to strong dollar becomes a factor in crypto markets, right? And and BTC or Bitcoin inversely has been correlated inversely to the strong dollar in the foreign exchange markets. And we've seen that before, we are seeing that now. And if central bank fights against their weakening foreign exchange rates, the cryptocurrencies might benefit. And and I think your assertion of the fact that uh, Bitcoin has has remained, has, has held its ground at 19, 20,000 range is maybe an indication of that. And as things become you know, much more tightened, uh, you begin to see Bitcoin sort of take advantage of that only because then it goes back to being an inflation hedge. It goes back to sort of, you know, looking into speculation, uh, going back years in crypto circles that people in emerging markets might turn to digital assets like crypto, um, especially Bitcoin, as a safe haven if they see a higher inflation economic turmoil. So that's one data point I'm looking at. And again, this conversation on central bank digital currencies, you can dive deep, you know, deeper into it a bit later. Then you look at commodities, which is again, uh, re- you know, with recent announcement from OPEC, uh, not you know, uh, reducing the, the output of oil, having a supply side pressure on, 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 on fuels, adding no pun intended fuel to fire. Yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, in terms of you know where we're heading with this, and I think there was an interesting uh, piece from Zoltan Pozar, as you know, who is you know who talked about commodity being uh, a, the new collateral per se, given where we are in the, you know in the industry. And that the next thing is crypto. Crypto itself as a as industry is holding its ground, regardless of what we've seen with technical innovation with merge and what we begin to now see, despite the two consecutive quarters of drop in the VC funding you find that especially in bear market, you have many projects which have sustaining qualities of the long growth. Mm. That's how I see this, Mark. And I don't know if there's a disconnect uh, between any of these three or they have tight linkages. Love to get your perspective, especially in the stronger dollar, because we've talked about this in terms of the fact that you have higher yield, uh, liquidity gets sucked out of the markets and that has some of the contributing factors 
to the reduced sort of the price pressure on 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 Bitcoin and uh, on the rest of crypto per se. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's a. So it's it's quite a complex set of relationships, but it's a it's a it's a really good observation in terms of you know the the, the historical thinking around you know would crypto represent this this sort of digital gold as a store of value with its transportability and immutability and so on. You know, the US, as you said, quite rightly, being the reserve currency of the world doesn't play by the same rules. So they are able to export their their kind of inflationary pressures onto the rest of the world and raise rates. And the rest of the world has to sort of follow suit. You know, the, the saying being, you know, when Wall Street sneezes, the rest of the world catches the cold. And when I take a look at what's going on in terms of a flight to safety, um, you know, as rates go up and people sort of start repatriating back and, and the US dollar continues to to rise, you are going to continue to see this, this debasement of currency. It's just, you know, at some point, I think, as I stated earlier, the not only the Fed, but other central banks are saying, well, our economies are, are, are really starting to take strain, you know, the, the interest rate increases we're pushing through are not really combating inflation because inflation is supply side driven, as you said, with energy. Um, you know, OPEC has always been a bit of a, a, a bit of a game theory um, in that the, the main producer being, you know, the Saudis um, can't really keep tabs on what the Nigerians and Venezuelans and the Emiratis are all doing. And, and never mind what's happening with the Syrians and the Iraqis and places where there's conflict. So, so I think we'll we, we will see uh, you know a moderation in energy. You know I think that you're starting to see a bit of sanity prevail in that. You know the Germans are turning their coal-fired power stations, they're demothballing them and saying, well, we, it takes a long time to 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 kind of get the nuclear back on track. But if we haven't got gas, we need we need to go back to using coal. Um, and I think that you know the ESG trend is being implemented way too quickly. It needs to kind of be planned and executed on a on a slower basis to ensure more stability in the global markets. The net result of all these factors is to me very beneficial for crypto because number one, it's it's so it's, it's based in US dollars, but it also is, it's a, it's a hedge against the debasement of currency, just like gold, in my opinion. I mean, that's that's number one where I think it's in this cycle, you saw it obviously make higher highs, but it's also made higher lows. It's, it, hasn't, it hasn't broken its long-term bull trend and it's still deflationary as we know. So if anything, more people, more wallets, you know, more participation, more product, et cetera, you can only see it being positive. The, the only other thing I'd say is that we're, we're in a very strange place in terms of this monetary policy experiment that started in 2008. It, it goes back further than that, but really that's when we saw this big increase in, in debt. And, you know, we are in a debt trap. Like they cannot afford to pay the debt like there's no way we can continue to print this but at the same time at some point you know the system is going to come tumbling down what i keep getting the feeling though is that they'll keep trying to kick it down the road as fast as as far as possible so i think that we'll see this this continued decline and they'll have to turn the debt tap back on and then we'll see another crazy rally and then there'll be another crisis and so on but just the last thing i'd say on this don't underestimate the effects of these kind of currency wars being used as tools for geopolitical aim. You know, the US understands that it's an empire that's, you know, in decline and the rising empire is, is China essentially. And, you know, Russia's kind of the, the tip of the spear. 
And I think what's happening, particularly with this proxy war in, in between NATO and the Ukraine, and NATO is you know, headed generally and funded by the U.S., is the U.S. is definitely trying to drain Russia and to an extent China of a lot of their, their energy and using their currency to do it. I think that's, that's mm. a big part of what they're trying to do. So a question um, maybe for both of you, and that is, it is interesting that people often look at Bitcoin as an alternative to gold and alternative to sort of an anti-inflationary product and alternative to gold. But the interesting thing is that Bitcoin also holds the hope and aspiration of the value of this cryptocurrency world, whereas gold doesn't hold hope and aspiration. It's just an alternative to an, an hedging position. Do you think that... Um, that, that Bitcoin is going to be this hedge, but at the same time reflect aspiration of this space and therefore grow at a faster rate than we'll see other alternative hedges? I think it's really interesting observation, both in terms of tying, because historically Bitcoin has been compared with gold. We've looked Ooh. into this as store of value. It is still a store of value. In fact, we have looked at this both in terms of medium of exchange unit of account, store of value, the three properties that any currency should should hold. And I think on, over the long run, we've seen Bitcoin act less like currency, but more as a store of value, allowing us to be able to preserve values, you know, and 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 have a durability to it. Though I would say, uh, Derek, that the penetration, which is I think what Mark was talking about earlier, that in such times when things become dire and interesting because of many of the macro uh, economic uh, impact, whether it's currency, whether it's commodities, fuel, energy, uh, uh, unemployment, um, you'll find network effect. So this is, again, if you're expecting a billion people to be on this network, you'll find a broader acceptance. And at the end of the day, that essentially is what currency is. It's a belief system. So if a billion people begin to believe in this and begin to transact with this and begin to use this as a medium of exchange, that is significant shift which is exactly what central bank digital currencies are aiming to do is use that as a medium of exchange, increase the velocity of money. It actually has mm -hmm. a positive impact on the economy because suddenly now people are leveraging uh, their uh, skills and their abilities and their aspirations and belief system that you're talking about, Derek. Mm -hmm. So I think until we get to a point where we begin to use the underlying blockchain, regardless of the cryptocurrencies on top, as a transaction system, as a truly global transaction system, and then leverage these crypto assets as various instruments at a global scale, um, we'll still you know, compare, and this is where I think the decoupling will really happen once the adoption pattern increases. And to, to Mark's point, mm. that will only happen once we have a, a uptick, uh, an uptake in the network effect, which is if there's a billion people on this today, then I think that's going to be just fantastic. So I'll pause there, Mark, and get your opinion and views on this. Yeah, I think I would definitely agree with that. Um, I think I think gold has has held, it's held its its as a store of value. It's definitely held its worth. You know, if you go back fifty, a hundred years and look at what an ounce of gold could buy you in the real world, in terms of real assets, mm -hmm. whether it's a, a you know a, a proper suit or you know some type of machinery, like it has held its value. But gold doesn't have much in terms of. It's got no real industrial use, you know, it, it doesn't have any, any yield, etc. Whereas, you know, I think with the advent of the third C that you're talking about, CBDCs, I think, you know, people are always going to want an alternative. And I think, you know, Bitcoin, you know, fits into that as it fits, in, fits that profile as well. 
the, the the kind of usage is continuing to grow. As you said, you know, when when you look at the next generation, Web3 gaming, you know, my, my test would be, you know, I have three young children. They already are, are very tech savvy and, you know, playing games like Roblox and transacting in, in, in digital currencies, even though they might call them skins and things like that. Do we think there'll be less people 10 years from now or more people with digital wallets and, and comfort in transacting in, in, you know, and and Bitcoin is going to kind of be the, the underpin, you know, you said it very well once in, in that the internet is a thin protocol and it's the apps built on top of the internet that created all the value. It's the same yeah. with blockchain. So there are not many applications that can be built with Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is always going to kind of be the way I see it is almost the gateway into the sector. It's always going to be mm. where the store of value goes once you've exited or you've made, you know, if you're looking to move from one application to another, often you're going to be going back through the through that route. So I only see usage improving and increasing. But Bitcoin is just the final thing I'd say is there's a lot of emphasis on Bitcoin and a lot of as a proxy for the sector. And Bitcoin mm. is a cryptocurrency. But if I look at DeFi and smart contracts, the way I look at them, I can see the similarities and I can kind of almost transport the thinking that I've had around businesses or economics into these and look at into these DeFi protocols and say, well, there's an actual underlying business there with an income statement and a balance sheet and yeah. a valuation and it's cash generative. And once what the real value is based on is the network effect. And that's what you kind of got to figure out is which are the ones that are going to continue to grow and, and achieve that network effect. Metcalf's law, or which are you know not, and quite clearly, Bitcoin and Ethereum are you know there a long time ago, and that will only continue to to increase as time goes on. So it's a very and, quiet and space at the <clears throat> moment. Um, what we're seeing is we're seeing very low volumes going through decentralized finance. Um, we're seeing. Uh, I read an interesting article yesterday that Decentraland is a very lonely place. Um, because one day they only had 38 visitors in a day to Decentraland. So it's extraordinarily quite so, so we've seen the entire sector drop down in, in velocity of money, in the turnover, the investment section, et cetera. Um, to me, this, this shouts of the opportunity to, to invest in this sector. Yet last night I was out listening to a fascinating presentation on um, ESG, and I was surrounded by uh, wealth managers. And these gentlemen were saying that even in their standard old long, short and multi-strategy equity investments, um, there's very little inflow of money. So people are sitting on their hands left, right and centre, despite the opportunities that are appearing in front of them. Yeah. And we're seeing that we thought that institutions were extraordinarily sophisticated and far-reaching and far-seeing. They're doing the same thing. They're also sitting on their hands. When do you think this is going to change? And what do you think is going to be the trigger that might see that change? Uh, I've just got one, you know, one observation on that. The, in our market commentary, we have the latest Bank of America Merrill Lynch survey, fund manager survey, which is a really good barometer as to the sentiment in the industry. And investor sentiment is worse. Fund manager sentiment is worse now than it was in 2008. They're more bearish um, and cash levels are highest that have been probably since the yep. survey started, which is more than 25 years ago. So when you've got everyone depressed and, and thinking the same thing and you've got lots of cash sitting on the sideline, the saying, you know, you can't sell to sellers anymore. The selling is exhausted, in my opinion. There might be another leg down, but the kind of you can't buy from buyers either. And once the market starts rallying, I think that's when all the 
the institutions that want to start getting involved and the liquidity will also drop on the upside. I mean, Litton, you mentioned before the call that you're seeing a lot of Bitcoin being taken you know, off exchange into cold storage. Yeah. And that's an indication that people are going, well, there would be no, there's no way they want to sell here. They think it's worth a lot more, whatever that number is to them. It might be 50 or 100,000. And therefore, they're not going to bother sitting with it and, and, and leaving it at risk on the exchanges. Yeah, yeah. and, and that's, that was an interesting metric, uh, uh, Mark and Derek, that I read this week, that a, a significant portion of what used to be in those exchanges, which is essentially be ready for transactions and have access to instant liquidity, uh, that those bitcoins actually have moved back into cold storage and that is again a, a indication that people have long term expectation from bitcoin because they don't they don't expect to sell this for at least 3 to 9 months uh you know from that perspective and that it, to me is an indication as well of what's coming but I, I, what's also interesting in general and you asked me about the excitement and all these things that you mentioned mark in terms of you know investor sentiments and and availability of of uh, of liquidity or easy liquidity for them to be able to make instant investments. I think that if you look at technology per se, what gets excitement? We had merge. So mm -hmm. if you look at things surrounding merge, there's a lot of excitement in the industry, and we had borrowing, and we had this financial primitives of borrowing and lending and deposits and high gear, because there was an expectation not just of return, but there was a expectation from both investment community technologist and that enthusiasm led to amazing numbers during those two weeks that we were expecting the merge and after merge things sort of fizzled out because excitement had died down nothing fundamentally changed in fact i think that now ethereum is sort of reaching for the first time it's reached its deflationary uh, checkpoint uh, in terms of the 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 amount of eth that's been created versus the amount of eth that has been destroyed in comparison to what used to be pre-merge numbers so i think you know but there's also a wrinkle in this because technology historically and has always been deflationary whether you look at automotives post-industrial revolution you look at you know during information era what came out to be early days of internet technologies eventually became free and cheap and only because you had the uh, the mass uh, consumption of these technologies and, and mass production of these technologies so i'm just wondering at what point not the valuation of bitcoin per se but is it the network effect that leads to the deflationary pressure on technology and that leads to massive consumption that again leads to and 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 the scarcity of bitcoin will 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 push the bitcoin valuation and the industry you know with it uh, second thing is financial crimes i think you look at crypto crimes rather mm. um, which has you know this this month october is officially the biggest month and in the biggest year ever for hacking activities where we've seen $718 million this 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 month so far. And this has just been, what, 12 days uh, across 11 different hacks this month. And that's, again, not just inviting regulatory pressures, inviting, um, you know, looking into, but also tarnishes the industry's um, image of ensuring that there's trust in the system, ensuring that your assets are safe, and to me, those are just the wrinkles, but I, I, I do agree with some of the observations that, that you made, Mark, in terms of what, what excites the industry and that excitement leads to opening up and, and mm. inviting a better and more positive investor sentiments, I think. Yes. Yeah. I'd agree on that. I agree on that. My, my final thought on that, Nitin, would be we, we are seeing the world kind of split, bifurcate. 
Um, and, you know, you've got the likes, the, the biggest representation of the population globally would be the BRICS countries, right? You know, Brazil, Russia, India, and China, which make up, you know, north of, you know, sort of two thirds of the world's population. And then you could definitely throw most of, of, of Africa into that and South America to an extent. And, you know, there's, with the dollar being this strong, it's really difficult for those countries to compete. It's almost impossible. In fact, it is impossible, particularly from an importing point of view. It's good if they're exporting of, of, of commodities, which many of them are. But at the same time, it's, you know, it's, they're looking for alternatives. And, you know, you can see, particularly with Russia being ejected from SWIFT and all the, the conflict in the region and the fact that there's now potentially more conflict down the line with China. I think that there's, there's almost going to be a push in some ways from both a retail and a wholesale perspective for investors to protect their wealth. That could be another driving factor there, although it's not definitely not the primary factor to invest in it. But as a store of value, as an alternative to the dollar, um, you know, as, 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 as a way to, to transfer your wealth. I mean, if you've got gold, you know, how do you transport it if you're moving around? You know, whereas, or how do you, how do you send someone, if you've got payments to be made and you, you don't want to use the dollar, how, do you, how else do you pay for something across the globe? And I think Bitcoin solves all these problems in terms of security, transportability, immutability, ease of use, and it's, mm. it's on your phone. And, and the thing yeah. you know, that always amazes me is that when you have cash in your bank, you know, it, you, it's your cash, but the bank controls it. It's a central ledger. Whereas if you mm. hold crypto, it's yours. No one can take it from you. It sits, it sits in your wallet. It belongs to you and you can control it. And there's a big difference in mentality. It's, it moves away from that kind of master slave system. So um, we're a show called Beyond Bitcoin, and uh, and part of that, of course, <laughs> is the fact that there is so much else happening beyond Bitcoin. So can I just frame this in the fact that when we talk about Bitcoin, its its ability to be transferred, its ability to be utilised as a currency, I, I think it's fair to say we're talking about it like a proxy in many cases to the space itself. Yeah. It's not just Bitcoin. In fact. In many cases, Bitcoin's not a very good currency because it doesn't transact fast enough. We all know the issues associated with the blockchain. Um, so it's more of a store of wealth. But what we are seeing is these massive amount of currencies, cryptocurrencies are getting produced and also the many different um, solutions they're getting produced um, that it, both decentralized finance and 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 earning, earning solutions in the world of Web 3.0, et cetera. Uh, now, you, of course, last question, because we're running out of time here, but Mark, you're running three funds, right? Mm. Primarily two in an index. What are you doing in these difficult times uh, as a fund? Uh, I think short term, you have to be defensive because everyone is very fatigued after this year. And I think, you know, we've, we're going into the sort of final quarter, October is traditionally the worst month in the markets. We've got U.S. midterm elections, which are a big deal. You know, the U.S. is very, very polarized and has been for a while. So, and, and there's still this escalation in conflicts, you know, with, you know, after the pipeline, now there's mm -hmm. the bridge to Crimea. So I think there's a lot of a lot of short term stress in the system. You know, as an investor, I don't look at what's happening in the short term. I'm, you know, you've got to kind of rise up higher yeah. you know, and the higher you go, the further out you can see. So in the short term, I'd say, yes, you want to preserve capital. You don't want to be, you know, being too early to a trade is the same as being wrong. So you want to make sure that you're kind of timing it, you know, that when you start seeing the green shoots, um, you know, hopefully the de-escalation. Let's see what happens after the U.S. elections. Let's see what happens with energy prices. We're going into European and, 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 you know, U.S. winter. So I would say in the short term, defensive, 
medium term I'd start getting a bit more a bit more exposed and I'd say by you know three to six months out from now you probably want to be getting you know you want to be getting very long this market because I think you're going to be surprised you know the downturn has been worse than expected but I think the next bull run is going to be a lot a lot a lot faster and a lot higher than what everyone's expecting as well so the three of us um had Roll Powell on one of our webinars that Portal Asset Management puts on uh, just recently. And he used a very simple but, um, but excellent analogy, simply saying that he considers the cryptocurrencies like a beach ball getting held underwater. And the water is the macroeconomic environment. If you can see the water come beside the beach ball will bounce through it. It does make sense. That space does tend to react and um, you know, with higher volatility and higher returns. Than we see with others, as we've seen it with lower, with the, the high volatility and the drop. So we we do expect that when it comes time to come back, it'll come back very quickly. People are often telling me that they couldn't pick it. There's no way that they can pick when that time's going to come. And when it does come, um, it'll be quite prompt. The challenge, of course, is for all of that is we need you need some exposure into the marketplace uh, to be able to get that upside when it starts happening along the way. And, and that's going to be the prudent investor. Um, and so, uh, so look, for today, thank you very much for coming and joining. It's always great to have you on the show, Mark. If anyone wants to contact Mark, of course, he can it very simply via um, the internet, which is Mark M. Witten, um, or by email, which is simply Mark, M-A-R-K, at portal.am. Um, so until next time, and the next week, by the way, Nitin, you're going to be the sole person on the show. You're going to be oh handling my the entire thing. That's, <laughs> the that's pressure too much to is handle. It's too much pressure. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and we've no, got Paul, Paul Goodman, Goldman coming to join us um, from yeah. OKX, which should be fascinating to see his view of what's happening in the exchange world and what's, what's happening with the volumes, et cetera. And, um, and I'm going to take a bit of time off. <laughs> so, so, Derek, thanks again and, and, and enjoy the well-deserved time off. And I'll try to hold the ground while you're enjoying in, in Tasmania, wherever you're going. But, uh, Mark, I want to echo Derek's comments in terms of thank you for your sharing your insights. Uh, I've learned a lot, again, over time working with you and, and looking forward to our next uh, you know, commentary. So until then, thanks again. Stay, thanks. stay well. I appreciate it. Always good. We'll chat soon. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.